not at all regular mobile dev memo podcast. My guest on the podcast is Dr. Sandra Matz from Columbia University. I first got in touch with Dr. Matz back at the end of 2017, and we had discussed doing a podcast on the topic of algorithmic advertising against the backdrop of news about Russian meddling in the 2016 U.S. presidential election. And then a completely new topic became relevant for the conversation, which is the Cambridge Analytica scandal about Sandra. Sandra Matz is an assistant professor of management at Columbia Business School in New York. As a computational social scientist, she studies human behavior and preferences using a combination of big data analytics and traditional experimental methods. She combines methodologies from psychology and computer science, including machine learning, experimental designs, online surveys, and field studies, to explore the relationships between people's psychological characteristics, for instance, their personality, and the digital footprints they leave with every step they take in the digital environment. I enjoyed having this conversation with Dr. Sandra Matz, and I hope you enjoy listening. Hi, so uh, welcome to the podcast, Sandra Matz. Um, first, thank you very much for taking the time to to chat with me today. I've uh, I've really been looking forward to this conversation for a while, and I'm glad that um, we were finally able to connect uh, after some email tag. Um, so, <laughs> just just to start, can you introduce yourself to the audience? Sure. Well, thanks for, for having me, um, first of all. So I'm Sandra Matz. I'm an assistant professor of management here at Columbia University in New York. Um, basically, I have a background in, in psychology and then moved into the field of computational, social, social science um, and management afterwards. So I think it'd be valuable for you to provide some background and um, and you can feel free to be as specific or as uh, indefinite here as you want to be. Uh, some background as it relates to the topic of social media advertising and the 2016 U.S. presidential election. So basically, having, having given the context uh, of your research, can you provide some color around the projects that you've applied that research to? Yeah. So I mean, like digital advertising targeting has been around forever. So that's certainly nothing new. It's been used in previous political campaigns. I think the big topic that surfaced this election was really kind of campaigns using psychological targeting. Um, and the idea here is that we're kind of taking people's behavior, so what they like on Facebook, what they do, um, I don't know, what they like on Facebook, what they talk about on Facebook, to make inferences about their, their personality. So not just saying, okay, we know that this person has liked um, Obama and we're now <laughs> assuming that they might want to might want to vote for for the Democrats, but we're taking kind of people's preferences and translating it into something like people's extroversion, people's openness to experience. Um, and the assumption is that by no, by understanding something about people's psychology, we're able to better target them with specific ads. So we know what they care about, we know what their preference are, preferences are, we know what they're motivated by, so to say. And that allows us to not only pick topics that those people might be most interested in, but also change the way that we communicate with people. Um, and that's been part of like my ongoing research is trying to see if this this kind of psychological targeting um, is effective or not. Um, so we're really kind of what we've done so far is we've kind of run a bunch of rather small scale if you compare it to like political campaigns, really, um, advertising campaigns on Facebook to see Let's say we're talking to an extrovert. We want to advertise like um, like a beauty product to them. Can we get them to click more often, purchase more often, if we tailor the message in a way that corresponds to their their need for extroversion? 
And um, same for introversion. So really is it by, by changing the messages in a way that correspond to people's personality profiles, does that change their behavior in any way? Yeah, so I mean, I think, you know, the, the context that I provided uh, for the call was that I wanted to discuss um, the Russia stuff, right? And so I think mm -hmm. the, the moral panic uh, in the news uh, can kind of be classified into two different sets of stories now. Uh, because when I first reached out, the, the big narrative theme was Russian interference in the U.S. election. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, by that, I mean that specifically that the Russian agencies were running ads and promoting content on social media platforms to, to try to influence the outcome of the U.S. election. And mm -hmm. the second and the most recent set of stories is focused on Cambridge Analytica's acquisition of Facebook data yeah. and the use of that data in servicing the Trump campaign as a vendor. Um, mm -hmm. I'm far more interested in the first topic, but I think mm -hmm. it'd be tough. It, it'd be tough to not touch upon the Cambridge Analytica story just briefly. So, yeah. are you okay with that? No, I think that's totally true. Yeah, and I'm happy to to talk about that too. Okay. Um, so, in again, I'm not. This is boring to me, so I won't. Um, I won't <laughs> harp on this. But you know, I, yeah. I wrote up an article on the Cambridge Analytica story on my site, so I think uh, there's no need to provide background here. Um, but I, my the only question I have for you is. How would you grade the media's coverage of this? Yeah, I, th I think that's been the most um, interesting part for me to see actually how people react. First of all, I was quite surprised that it just resurfaced again just now because there was like a big debate going on around yeah pretty much the same time last year, a little bit earlier um, in in late 2016. Um, and I don't even see that there's so much has changed since then. So we've had this debate. It's like, okay, Cambridge Analytica has been kind of targeting people, using their data, their Facebook data to kind of turn it into psychological profiles. We don't really know whether any of this is true. We don't know how effective it is. I think it's interesting to see the debate kind of coming up again, now being focused not so much on the like on the psychological targeting part, but more on the on the data part. So how was it possible? that um, like a company like Cambridge Analytica, a researcher, um, like basically a single person was able to get the, the Facebook data of, of 50, million, 50 million people. And I think the, what I find kind of a little bit frustrating about the media coverage is that it's kind of talking in extreme. So either it's saying, oh my God, they kind of, it's a terrible data breach um, and they kind of, they managed to psychologically profile like 50 million people in the US. And this was probably, this has certain, like not even probably, this has certainly kind of influenced the election and this is why Trump got elected. So you have this camp that says, oh, Cambridge Analytica suddenly created like this wonder weapon that has changed everything. And then you get the other extreme that says like, oh, first of all, it wasn't a data breach. It was like, like legal within the Facebook framework, which is actually like the, the opinion that I agree with. Um, but they also, like, it's often also said that like, it's not effective at all. Um, and I think just the idea that we have these two extremes and those are the only options that could possibly be true. So either it, it changed everything or it didn't change anything at all. Or just, it's just like a false dichotomy. Um, we know from the, and that kind of goes back to the research that I don't, I've done, we know it's effective. We know that if you target people, let's say based on psychological profiles, um, you can change their behavior. We have no idea how effective it is in comparison to other approaches. So as I said, like data has been used for quite a while, like within the Obama campaign. And we don't really know whether using suddenly like psychological labels um, 
is more effective or not. We know that it's effective, but we don't really know um, if it's more effective than what we had before. And I think that's the, the most important comparison that we need because it's, it's nothing new. It's just suddenly, suddenly we're putting a label on this data and we say, we're now calling it extroversion. Um, but technically it's nothing new. We know it's effective. So that's what, what I'm a little bit frustrated about when it comes to the media coverage. It just like it's either or. It's either true or it's entirely false. Most likely we're just kind of somewhere in the middle, um, which is what we should be discussing now. So assuming it could be effective, like how effective is it actually? Um, and what do you, we want to do about it? I think that would be a much more fruitful discussion to have, thinking about it in terms of solutions. Yeah, and well, you said that in one of the, um, so I think you, you had provided some input on one of the articles that I read, I think it was on Bloomberg, mm -hmm. where you, you actually said, well, you know, this actually could have hurt their targeting. I mean, this actually could have had a negative effect, right? Yeah. Is, that, is that correct? So, I mean, I think that was on Wired. Um, <laughs> there was right, probably yeah. a little bit um, too negative. So basically what I wanted to say is that in some cases it, it might be more effective, in some cases it might be less effective. And unless we have any empirical evidence, we can't really pin it down. We can't say that like it's so much better than everything we've had before. We can't say that it's it's much worse. Um, and that's why the like without any evidence, and it's not coming from Facebook, because they are obviously not publishing the data on the Cambridge Analytica case, but without that, the discussion around whether it's true or not is just like it's a hypothetical one and it's misguided. Um, what we should do is assume that, okay, let's say it could be Cambridge Analytica getting access, it could be Russia kind of basically running ads on Facebook um, if, we can, if we then kind of move more towards that topic. And the question is, what do we do about it? Um, that should be the discussion that the media is having right now. Hmm. Right. Yeah, I mean, I have a lot of gri gripes with the, the sort of tech media in general, but mm -hmm. I think um, stepping away from you know, this, the Cambridge Analytica issue specifically, I mean, that what they did, I mean, that is not the exclusive domain of Trump. It's not like yeah. uh, this, this was gifted to him by like an alien species when, I mean, Hillary could have just as easily con contracted with Cambridge Analytica. I, I mean, or a similar yeah. organization. It's, you know, it's, this wasn't unique to, to, yeah. to, I to the I totally to right. agree. Yeah, and it probably would have changed the perception entirely, right? Let's imagine the Democrats had used like similar techniques to target people. It would have probably kind of evoked a, a really different response. Um, and I think the reason for that is it's not so much about the technology, it's about the way that you use it. So the, the goal of Cambridge Analytica was to kind of create fear and get dissuade people from, from going out and voting. Um, if you were to use the same techniques to say like, encourage people to vote or get them more engaged in the in the political process which is one of the biggest issues because nobody cares about politics anymore so if we could kind of use that technology to get people kind of really figure out what people care about and communicate with them in a way that that makes them feel understood this would have been celebrated um, by the media as being something that's revolutionary and helping the democratic process so i think that's it's exactly what you said it's kind of thinking about what is it what is it used for and how is it being used um that makes all the difference and it's not yeah it's not just limited to trump it's a um, technology that's out there and that can be used in either way but but going back to the election um so you've probably seen at least some of the the footage of the senate judiciary committee hearing 
um, mm -hmm. that featured the lawyers from the big social media companies that, and this was, uh, they, so they testified, you know, months ago before, uh, before the new year, uh, in mm -hmm. response to the Russia meddling issue. And so, you know, watching that, I mean, you get the sense that, okay, the, the senators, you know, questioning the lawyers had really no idea how, you know, algorithmic content servicing works and the lawyers had no idea how it worked. And so it's kind of two lay, two sets of lay people. Uh, discussing a, a pretty, um, you know, a, a, a pretty sort of Byzantine topic. And my, yeah. so my question to you is, how do you think that, um, you know, how, how can lay people, which Congress people are with respect to this topic, legislate on this? Can they? Yeah, I think it's super difficult. Um, it's, I mean, it's one thing that the Cambridge, uh, the Facebook lawyers don't understand it, but like, you can't really blame legislators for not not having the best idea of what's happening because one thing is and I guess there's like several reasons one thing is that companies like Facebook don't really have an incentive to make it public and tell kind of people what's going on behind the scenes and how their data is being used so there's very little transparency when it comes to like the Facebook whatever recommendation algorithms and it also obviously requires some kind of at least some kind of knowledge in in how in data science and how do we how do we gain insights from data? How do algorithms work? I think for many people, it's just like this black box. It's it's like something something magical happens, um, and it, very few people take the time to actually explain to people what is behind algorithms and kind of trying to to tell them, look, it's if you break it down, it's not that magical. It's just like relationships between what people do and how they might respond to to different advertisings, which I think is also the reason why, like this is now coming back to Cambridge Analytica, but like why there was suddenly like an outcry when it was just discussed in the context of psychological targeting, because that's suddenly when people actually understood what was happening and how personal the information is. Like that's been going on forever. Like it's just that Facebook uh, is using like whatever, a hundred by behavioral dimensions that nobody can really make sense of. But if you talk about, hey, look, we're using your extroversion, to make such prediction, it's suddenly something that people can relate to. Um, so I think it's both the, the responsibility of, of companies and researchers, because like we obviously have a, we can, we can talk more freely about what we're doing, which is kind of our responsibility using taxpayer money and doing that work, is we have to do a better job at communicating how stuff works, how algorithms work. Um, and then I think it is possible to to regulate um, you can see that in like with the new um, data protection regulations in the European Union for example still probably far from from being there and assuring that people's data is fully protected but it, it's at least taking the step saying okay what we really re require is um, more transparency that so that's more transparency in terms of what data is collected more transparency in terms of how the data is being used what comes then is like the more difficult part is like how do you monitor compliance um, and I think that's when it when kind of governments and like the public sector is just really struggling because they don't have the resources they don't have the manpower they can't pay like the, the best talent from like the computer science is the same same salary as Facebook and Google can which means that all the all the people who are kind of really capable are probably going to work for those companies developing the algorithms and it's hard to say like i don't know let's monitor companies and see what their algorithms are doing so even if you if you were to say okay we can't 
I don't know, target people based on extroversion anymore. How do you make sure that this is that like companies comply with that? They could just hide it somewhere in their 1000 behavioral dimensions. Um, so in that sense, one thing I think is that scientists, including myself um, and people who are interested in, in like privacy and how can we use data for good, need to better at communicating. And then I think there is a chance to regulate. And um, the question is just how. Mm, I think that's a, a, a point that you made in there was really good, which is that, um, I mean, the, the government just can't possibly match the, you know, remuneration of, you know, the, the biggest tech companies. And so the best and brightest, are, you know, just out of, uh, out of, uh, a um, sense of wanting to, uh, you know, live a comfortable life can't seriously consider those jobs. I read an article about the MI6, mm -hmm. um, like the recruitment had dropped like precipitously, uh, yeah. you know, after Facebook opened an office in London, just because oh. th those, those jobs, you know, the pay differential between a, a, you know, an analyst job at MI6 and, you know, basically like a entry level engineering job at Facebook. Um, yeah. is so substantial. Yeah. Um, well, it's all, I, it's like the, the salary, it's the prestige, is the, this idea of you work for a company like Facebook, you just have to go to the offices. Like it's, it's not surprising that like young people coming out of university, maybe like 21, 22, um, that they get hooked by Facebook because they, they know how to, how to get the best talent. Yeah, well, I mean, as someone who spent a lot of time in Facebook offices, I mean, you, you recognize that. It, this, these are designed exactly. to, look, to look like a dorm, like a, even cooler than a dorm, especially definitely any dorm that I ever lived in. Yeah. Um, with the you know the, the coffee bars and the, the, the barbecue stations and all that mm -hmm. stuff. Um, <laughs> I, and also just kind of piggybacking on one thing that you said that you know just just recognizing this, kind of putting it in plain language, um, or or you know using a metaphor that is relatable. Do you mm -hmm. think I, I feel like one 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 thing that I've I felt has really distracted the conversation around Cambridge Analytica is just the extreme aesthetic of Chris Wiley. I, he looks like a hacker. Yeah. He looks he looks like mm -hmm. who you'd pull out of central casting for a movie about like these evil <laughs> hackers. And I feel like yeah. most most data scientists I know don't look like that. In fact, I don't know any mm -hmm. data scientists. I mean, they're just dressed, dressed you know, pretty uh, pretty blandly. Pretty bland, you know, I would agree. With <laughs> the pink hair and the nose ring, I mean, he just looks like, yeah. you know, some guy who's getting paid and, you know, with briefcases full of cash by, you know, <laughs> by evil regimes. And I think that just scares people. It's like, okay, I, this, this, this person looks like he's kind of on the fringes of society and therefore must be like really evil and using all these like, yeah. you know, brilliant techniques. And I think if it was just a more, um, you know, g generically dressed person, it wouldn't be as scary. Yeah, I think it, it definitely he definitely looks like a revolutionary of, of some sorts. And I think the and I think that's the image that he he wants to give. Um, it's basically it's a, a unique per and it's like it, I don't even mean that in a judgmental way. Um, but I think it's very um, intentional because um, like even I think even the Guardian article mentioned that he didn't look anything like that um, when she first met him. Um, so I guess in that case, it's it's a way to kind of capture media attention. I think what I didn't really like about this, the whole story, and that's coming actually coming back to the way that it was was portrayed in the media, 
is that, I mean, it's, it's great that he's kind of changed his mind and he now kind of supports like the like transparency and like basically figuring out what really happened and supporting the public to, um, to get a better sense of, of what's happening behind the scenes. But like the way that it was portrayed in the media was basically he's this superhero that's now going to save the world. And all like, let's say scientists, for example, um, were kind of portrayed in the way that like, oh, the, those evil scientists helped Cambridge Analytica to come up with something like that. Um, and I think that's what I found really, well, first of all, really biased and, and not, not helpful in any way. Because um, the, the reason why scientists do that is because we're the only ones who can talk about that. So that, that comes back to talking to governments, for example, or legislators. Um, just because we were the first ones to do something like that doesn't mean that we advocated for it to be abused. And the point we did it is to make sure that because it can happen behind the scenes anytime. And we're the only ones who can actually talk about it. So not working for Facebook, but being being an independent academic gives us the advantage of having this and the power to, to speak up and say, look, this is something that it's a technology that exists. It might be used for this or could be used for good. But there's also like a lot of potential for abuse. So when you look at the media coverage, it was all about like, oh, Chris Wiley is amazing. He's like now saving the world. He was the one of the people who developed that strategy for Cambridge Analytica. So I think the like looking back, it's always easy to say, oh, he kind of came out, he changed his mind. And we're now condemning all the other people who were at some point remotely involved in, in this whole thing, but actually didn't do, like had the chance to to do the same, but didn't do it. And we're now suddenly blaming those people instead of also putting at least some responsibility of the people who were actually involved in in developing these algorithms. So that's something that I wasn't very happy with when it came when it comes to the, the coverage. Well, yeah, and that's that's an excellent point too. It's just you know, they were the ones who applied this to <laughs> you know, you know, a, a uh, the Trump campaign. Uh, yeah. They could have applied this in any other way that that would have been kind of unobjectionable by most people. And I think that's also part of the what I found really hollow about the criticism against Facebook is following the the Russian election, which is that well, okay. You know, people say, okay, these algorithms enforce existing prejudices and biases, and that's a bad thing. Mm -hmm. But I mean, that's literally the exact thing an advertiser with good intentions is seeking yeah. to do, right? Yeah. It's seeking to uh, to serve an ad that's relevant to a person's interest. Yeah, and I mean, the question is, is it is it much worse in 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 Facebook than it is in the offline world? And it probably is. But one thing is that that I don't. I mean, I'm kind of I support the fact that. Um, there's now kind of action towards making Facebook more transparent and kind of having them to take like more responsibility, but like they can't anticipate any potential abuse of their data. So one thing that is just like the the media the media coverage around Facebook is just incredibly negative. Um, it sounds like they don't care about at all what happens with their data. They kind of opened had like the doors wide open for abuse and kind of downloading user data. What happened is that like that it's no longer possible to download the data from all of your friends, right? So basically Facebook figured out that this was an issue and they shut it down. Um, it's it's really hard to say, and that's I think that's the, the, the real problem is that they're just so big. They're kind of too big to fail and probably too big to manage because um, it's really hard for them to anticipate any potential problem. And now just looking back and saying, oh, they should have figured that out like in 2011 before 
like a researcher um, abused his power and then sold the data to like another company. Like, I'm not sure if that's really fair to say, because um, they took action once they figured it out. And like, if anything, there, I think there needs to be some support or like some like incentive structure that would help companies like Facebook and Google to actually care more about data protection and data security. Um, just looking back and saying, oh, they should have anticipated um, and predicted that this was going to happen. I'm not sure if that's a really good argument. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, and, and it's again, it goes back to this idea of when it's uh, benign, no one cares, mm -hmm, right? Exactly. I mean, but it's if Trump gets elected as a result, or potentially as a result, then yeah. people uh, are are enter a moral panic, mm -hmm. um, which because no one's complaining when you get shown a relevant ad for a movie that you might like. <laughs> yeah, right? and that's I, I think that's the the whole point. I mean, in in one way, I. I kind of, I, I'm kind of happy that there, there is a context that people care about because I think that there's a lot that Facebook could do to actually make sure that the data of users is being more protected. Same for Google. So it's like in a way it's good to have context like that where people care about. But I think that the, again, the discussion that we're having now is just like misguided. So why are we looking back saying, oh, what is it that Facebook did? This is, it's like outrageous. Like, why aren't we looking forward and saying, okay, so we know that this has happened. What could Facebook do with the support of maybe other companies, the government, um, to make sure that it doesn't happen again and to kind of come up with ways that you would, they would spot violations of their policies more quickly. Um, so that's, I think, much, much more important than saying, okay, so we're now going to find Facebook for something that happened and we can't change anymore. Well, yeah, because you're, you're exactly right. I mean, they addressed this in 2015. So we're having a discussion mm -hmm. about something that's already been fixed. Um, yeah. And I, what, what I'm worried about is that, well, who knows how many companies accessed the yeah. data of friends of people that installed their... I mean, there's potentially tens of thousands of companies that are sitting on massive yeah. data sets that were, uh, that were acquired this way. Um, yeah, so that's that's also one of the things that I think is just portrayed wrongly in the in the media. It wasn't so back in the day the Facebook graph API was just open. So you could like as soon as I logged in, any app that was running had access to the data of my friends. That wasn't just a researcher in Cambridge. That was pretty much any app that was using Facebook login. Um so it's very likely that this isn't the only data set that is out there. Um and it also doesn't matter if like if Cambridge Analytica deleted the data or not. Like as soon as you, if you have the algorithms, like you don't need to hold on to your original data set because you have the algorithm, like you don't need the original data. Um, so, and I think that comes back to your question about like, do people actually understand what's happening? And I, I think this is the perfect example to show that they're not. Like asking, like just now focusing on whether the data was deleted and whether Facebook actually took all the steps to make sure that it was deleted doesn't solve the problem that even if Cambridge Analytica had deleted all the data, they would still have the insights. Um, so it's not solving the problem of undermining their their business model in any way. Yeah, right. And and I think actually Facebook has been reasonably good about this. I mean, you can, mm -hmm. well, now you can, I mean, you can, you've been able to download your data for a long time from Facebook, but even before that, they showed you the topics that they had categorized you into Mm -hmm. um, around, you know, various, uh, like social dimensions. And that's, yeah. 
that's a pretty to me that's actually the the most transparent way of relaying this information that they have about you because yeah. uh, you know what, what if they said okay look you can see um you can see the actual data that we have that our algorithms have produced about you well i mean anybody that's ever done any sort of like algorithmic classification knows that that's just a massive uh set of coefficients and, yeah mm -hmm. you know what i mean like that's meaningless <laughs> yeah. that doesn't it's that doesn't totally tell me anything mm -hmm. yeah uh, so that's why I think that the the reason why it came kind of came up now is because like we have this psychological labels that suddenly make sense. But that's right. uh, that's also some like it's a question that I get fairly often is like what what should Facebook be doing now to make um, their practices more transparent? And like when I say that they're actually already doing quite a lot of stuff, most people are surprised because well they don't know about it and no one is using it. So like even with the Facebook ads, there's like now this demand for kind of understanding why people are shown an ad. Facebook is already doing that. If you click on your ad, you see why you get this ad. If you go to your settings, you can see what you're being targeted based on. And as you said, you can download like your full data. So in that sense, I think, well, Facebook is transparent in the sense that it's possible. They're not advertising it. So obviously they're not kind of pushing people towards checking what, what they know about them. But I'm not sure if you can blame Facebook for that. Um, so in a sense, well, kind of, I think uh, to some extent you can, because um, I think they would benefit from users feeling that they have more control over what's happening. So technically, I think it would be in their in their best self-interest to kind of point users towards the 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 kind of options of transparency that they already have. Um, but my and I've become a lot more pessimistic in this. I have to say, I think people just don't care enough. So we now have this media coverage, kind of people are um, outraged by by what companies know about them. And then in a month's time, nobody really kind of talks about it anymore. Nobody goes and changes their privacy settings as a response. Um, so it's really like the question is even just even educating the public and allowing or giving them tools to to make sure that they, they understand what's happening. I'm not sure if, if it's enough. Um, and that's coming back to the question of like, can we regulate it in some way that takes the responsibility away from the user and at least kind of alleviates it a little bit for the, for the companies like Facebook and Google themselves um, by having, I don't know, like a legal framework, like a, a regulatory, like a regular, um, like a government framework that helps them in, in doing that. Yeah, well, you're you're exactly right. I mean, and I've made this point a couple times um, on Twitter, and the the kind of uh, you know the 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 sort of most common response, like about the people just don't care. I mean, mm -hmm. this this stuff has come up in the past, um, and not not I think not with this level of media outrage, but like certainly the 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 um, you know the question of whether you know Facebook is doing everything to to safeguard their privacy has come up in the past, yeah. you know, around various incidents and. And I say, you know, people don't care. They, they keep coming back. I mean, nothing's happened. Advertising, advertisers aren't moving away from Facebook. You know, users yeah. aren't deleting Facebook in mass. And people are like, oh, well, you know, they, people should care. Well, yeah, fine, they should. I mean, yeah. it's the same as, you know, when when it was sort of revealed that smoking is actually really, really bad for you, people should stop <laughs> immediately. Yeah. But it took the government stepping in and regulating yeah. it to actually exactly. make, mm -hmm. to, to incite that social change. And I think that's probably what's going to happen here. I just worry mm -hmm. that. A, the government doesn't really understand this, and B, they're going to overreach. Um, yeah. and, and they're probably also too slow. So, I mean, it took decades to regulate the tobacco industry, which is actually one of the examples that I like to use to kind of draw 
comparisons to to digital monopolies like Facebook and Google, because there are certain things that you can do. Like if you if we think about financial institutions, they have to disclose like their activities. You could have something similar for Facebook. So just say what's what's happening. Where where is the advertising money coming from? What is who are the groups that are being targeted the most? Would have already helped to actually figure out that Russia was was kind of playing a role in the election. Or if you think about, again, financial institutions, they are mandated to have hackers um, test their security systems. So they're kind of really trying to make sure that the data is not easily accessible. If you if you were to mandate something like that for Facebook, it, it would just create an, an entirely different um, incentive structure. Because right now, like it's not Facebook's priority and you can't, I mean, it's not part of their business model. You can't really blame them. On the one hand, you really want kind of transparent use of data, like so, like social movement where people can connect. And, and that kind of makes it more difficult for them to actually say, okay, like our top priority is, is security. If that was mandated, they would have to do it and they would have to allocate resources to that. Um, so I think in this case, like I think the tobacco industry is a, is a really excellent comparison or like the financial industry. Mm. I mean, well, one comparison I made because my take on GDPR is that it probably is at that level of overreach um, mm-hmm. and it's probably going to do more harm than good uh, I think it's well-intentioned but I I had made the comparison of like okay well what if you said you know there's an epidemic of uh, car crash fatalities you know going mm-hmm. back to the to the to the 70s um, there's an epidemic of car crash fatalities we need to reduce car crash fatalities let's uh, let's reduce the top speed of cars to 25 miles per hour because that will definitely do that. And I mean, I think that is true, um, mm. but seatbelts would too. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I feel like GDPR is more of the let's reduce the output of the engine versus let's actually give people a seatbelt. Yeah. Um, and I mean, so there's, I think, something that people don't talk about as much because the focus is on the, like, the potential abuses is opportunity costs. So if we shut down that technology altogether, we're also missing out on so many ways in which, again, it could be psychological targeting, could be just profiling, could be used to help people. Because we know that we have so many cognitive limitations. So we're really bad at planning for the future. We're really bad at saving. We're really bad at looking after our health and seeing through our long-term goals. Um, all that that kind of technology that has now been used by whatever Cambridge Analytica, potentially, we don't really know. But... Um, in a way that kind of goes against people's best interest. We could also use it to really help people. And if we're making it really hard for, for companies to use our data in that way, we're not, we're just, we're not going to see that, that positive change, that using data for good. And I think I totally agree that's certainly one of the, one of the dangers. Um, and I've kind of, because I lived in the UK before, and I, I see that it's harder for companies now to, to implement the data, and it's just really difficult to understand what the GD- what is allowed under the GDPR and what's not. So that's something that like big companies can deal with. But if you have like a small company that otherwise might be interested in using data, for them it might just be like too much of a hassle to kind of see whether what they do com- is compliant with the GDPR or not. Um, so I think generally I'm kind of supportive because I think it really, I really like the idea of just giving more control to the user, which I think is just the way that like we should be moving um, to in the future is like the user 
has a much bigger say in what's happening with their data and how it's being used for. Um, but yeah, it also comes with the, with the potential downside of, of shutting down important ideas and important usages of data. Mm, yeah, yeah, of course. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not uh, some like sort of, uh, uh, you know, inveterate ca capitalist who says like, oh, no, you know, there should be no transparency. Uh, I mm. think there should be. I, just, I think GDPR, it was just made way too, um, it was crafted to be like purposefully ambiguous so that it would be clarified over time. And I think that's, that's kind of um, heaved this burden onto a lot of smaller companies. I mean, in, in, in basically, as you said, it's handed a massive gift to Facebook and Google because if you say, well, okay, there's, there's, there's a lot of um, ambiguity and nebulousness around what data we can collect, so we probably can't collect anything. Well, if Facebook says, okay, we won't collect anything either, they don't need to. They already have data yeah. on almost everyone in the U.S., probably almost everyone in the U.K. I mean, there's not a need to collect more yeah. data. There's not people coming online with smartphones for the first time. I mean, yeah. not in the, not in the developed world. So, like, they're they have a massive advantage if this kind of across the board reduces the ability for of people to collect data. Uh, then they basically they just handed them a big competitive advantage. Yeah, I mean, I would still have to disclose of what's happening with the with the data that they've collected, like even before. So, if and I think that's the interesting part of the GDPR that they're the first ones to even talk about profiling. Um, so that's, um, I guess, because that's part of part of my research. But it's really the first regulation that even mentions the idea of profiling. It's pretty, as you say, like pretty vague. It's not entirely clear um, what is possible and what's not possible, what needs user consent, what doesn't. Um, but at least it's kind of it. People think are thinking about it, um, and I think that's what I what I really like about it. Implementation, as I said earlier, I think is a completely different different question and, and much harder to, to answer. Mm -hmm. um, shifting gears a little bit, one, one uh, kind of pet topic of mine is, is like the sort of ethics of, of advertising and, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, determining, determining intent um, and uh, kind of um, parsing out, eth you know, ethical, um, you know, ethical intent from, from ads. And I think one of the reasons that the sort of, um, Russia situation seems so the, the, the meddling the election meddling situation seems so intractable to me is that you know this is a um, legitimate the way they used Facebook was totally legitimate they didn't abuse the mm -hmm. system I mean they just had they just had they, they were uh, bad actors yeah. um, mm -hmm. and so just as an example let's say that I'm a Russian operative and I post some meme that you know riles up you know, certain people that have certain, you know, political views mm -hmm. that was that that was a I, I you know, that's clearly, that, you know, ex post, you know, that's that was <laughs> yeah. obviously bad intent, right? I mean, there was there's bad mm -hmm. intent there. But let's say I'm I, I just am a person who legitimately has those views and I share the same meme. Well, if I kind of curtail the ability across the board to share that specific meme or espouse those specific political views, I've mm. stopped these bad actors from being able to manipulate, you know, people's prejudices and activate their biases. But then I've also kind of curtailed this person's right to free speech, right? Mm -hmm. And so yeah. me as a me as an advertiser, I say, well, okay, I don't particularly agree. You know, I I I find that content and that meme objectionable. But then do I want to do I want to take us down that slippery slope of saying, well, Facebook then can implement any kind of censorship it wants? 
Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. how, so first, I guess my question to you is, is there a way, I mean, Mark Zuckerberg said in the wake of this kind of incident, the Cambridge Analytica thing, that they're going to use, they're going to apply AI to, yeah. um, to, to parsing out the intent of, of these posts. But I question whether that's possible. I mean, just given that example, how do you do yeah. that? I think it's it's difficult because I mean there's quite a lot of research already trying to distinguish between fake news and actual news and with quite modest success. Um, so kind of trying to use AI to to see which which of the the things that are posted on Facebook are actually true, which ones are just made up. Um, and that like I think like first of all it's a question of like what is it a question about values, right? Because we care about freedom of speech. We don't it's a slippery slope in terms of what is it that you really want to cut down because it's like hurting the democratic process and what is just like differences in in people's opinions and values. Um, And I think probably most people would agree that what Cambridge Analytica did was basically overstepping this line. Um, And I think in this case, um, and there might be other cases, so that's I think what makes it difficult is that it's very case specific. Um, In this case, I would say that as, as soon as you kind of like, dissuade people from voting, which is an essential part of the of the democratic process, that's something that should not be permitted. Um, expressing your opinion, on the other hand, even if I don't agree, let's say, let's take gun laws. I'm t- totally against <laughs> guns, um, but I like other people are not. Um, so and they should have the, the freedom to express their opinion. I think if it's really targeted at kind of getting people away from the voting booth, um, this is something that is just so fundamentally against our like the idea of democracy that it should be should be illegal. Um, and then the second question is, can we do something like that with algorithms? Um, and I think it's to some extent we can um, if we can train them based on existing data. So that's the question of can like algorithms be ethical, right? So if you have enough um, historical data where someone classified, those are all kind of ads that we consider unethical, that we consider illegal. And now let's kind of train the algorithm to pick up on the same ads that like a human person would have picked up on. Um, the computer is probably going to do a fairly good job at doing that, um, just because like they can kind of um, detect like really complex patterns in the data. However, that also kind of already alludes to the, to the limitation, because if, if there's something coming up that the computer has never seen, like that's just not in the historical data, um, they won't be able to pick up on it because they don't have like an understanding, like, an, like a human understanding of what is ethical or not. It's just like, OK, I have learned from, from the past and that this is unethical. So if I see something similar, I'm just going to label it as, as equally unethical. Um, if, it, if there was something, let's say Cambridge Analytica came up with something entirely new, um, a human would look at that and immediately see that it's unethical. A computer probably wouldn't do that. Now, if we kind of go back to to what actually happened, and most of the the messages in in the context of Cambridge Analytica were like fear-based, trying to um, get people to well, kind of just develop a very hostile attitude towards Hillary. I think this is all stuff that we've seen. Um, that's all, in a way, it's actually all part of like the standard propaganda repertoire. It's kind of using fear-based messages. So I think if there had been an algorithm um, trained on that, they probably would have been able to spot it. But I agree that it's it's super complicated to do that moving forward because there's always something that you might not anticipate um, and that it's incredibly difficult to pick up on with, with just an algorithm, which is why it's even more important that we kind of say, 
okay, there might be certain contexts in which we want to have human oversight, but we can't tell Facebook to just look at all the ads. And it's probably not necessarily re necessary. Um, if I want, I don't know, if I advertise handbags, for example, maybe it's not necessary to monitor what I'm, what I'm writing or not. But if I'm kind of running a political campaign, then maybe we want to have like a little bit more oversight in terms of like machines trying to pick up on, on what's happening, but also like a bigger human um, labor force that can actually check check what um, what is really being advertised and what the impact of that might be. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I I uh, I, I feel similarly conflicted, um, and also uh, I, I mean, I'm I'm you know I'm reticent to say always that this is impossible. AI will never be able to accomplish this because I mean I feel like you know I just don't I don't have <laughs> domain expertise there, and 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 also uh, I'm continuously amazed and awed by how much progress. Um, you know, researchers have made with AI, but but it does feel uh, that kind of probably does require a human being thinking about the context. And so mm -hmm. uh, I question whether maybe in my lifetime that'll be possible. Yeah, I think it really depends on whether it's something that we've seen historically, then I'm pretty sure we can do it to some extent. But yeah, obviously, like things develop and we don't always anticipate what's going to happen tomorrow. Mm. Um, so last question um mm -hmm. thank you for hanging in this long <laughs> um so i've had this argument with people um and it would be great to hear um your take uh you know as a as an academic and a researcher mm -hmm. um so can advertising become so invasive and targeted that it basically short circuits people's brains and compels them to do something is there a line that we can draw between you know, free will um, mm. and my deliberate click on something as a result of, you know, feeling like thinking that that is uh, an interest of mine and like a deterministic behavior that was hacked by an advertiser yeah. with basically a complete profile of me. Yeah. So, I mean, if you, if you kind of talk about actual hacking, then you would probably have to connect to the brain somehow, which is obviously nothing that advertisers do. Um, so that's why, and that's actually coming back to the to the question about the media coverage, like you're not going to change someone's like a super convinced Hillary supporter um, and suddenly turn them into a Trump supporter. Um, it, so it's not it's not that it's super easy to change people's opinions and and values, especially when it comes to political orientation. Um, so it's it's a lot more subtle, and I don't think we're ever going to get to this point where. Whatever you see on Facebook in your newsfeed is what you're going to click on. We still have like the, the capacity to kind of take a step back, think about it for a second. And I, I think that actually really helps if you just kind of take a second before you click on, on something. Think about why you're being shown that ad. Like, is it something that you really want to click on? Um, and in the end, it's, it's still your, your decision. Um, so all the tools that we have in targeting right now, whether that is psychographics targeting, behavioral targeting, just makes it more likely that you click on something. It's definitely not deterministic in the sense that we're suddenly now um, determining everything that happens in your life and all the choices that you make. I think that would definitely go go way too far. It's true that the more the more accurate we become with targeting, the more of an impact we're going to have and the more likely it is that we're actually going to influence people's opinions and and behavior. But like and the the kind of metaphor of hacking someone's decisions and brain, um, I think we're incredibly far away from that. 
Mm. Well, so thank you so very much for chatting with me today. How can people learn more about you and your research and follow your work? Well, I have a, a website uh, where I try to publish updates once in a while. Um, I'm not super good at that. But otherwise on, on YouTube, I try to give um, as many public talks actually as I can. So that's coming back to the point of educating people about what's happening, making sure that it's not kept within this tiny academic um, world that we all live in. Um, so yeah, I guess website's andromats.com, um, otherwise on, on the Columbia website. And I noticed that you were not on, on Twitter. Is that uh, in protest? <laughs> I am not on just... Twitter. Yeah, so I mean, it's on. It's not on purpose because I'm afraid of my data being being abused. It's just that it takes a lot of time to maintain. Um, and if I if I were to use Twitter, I would really want to do it properly. And I just haven't haven't made the time to to do that yet. Oh, I can attest. I can attest to the, uh, <laughs> the amount of time I uh, I invest yeah. in that. Well, yeah. Sandra, thank you. Thank you very much for speaking with me today. Thanks a lot. Bye. Okay. Bye.